Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Redemption's Midweek Mayhem After Sermon Discussion podcast. We're working on a name. I am J.P. Gaylord, the pastor of media and production at Redemption. I'll be your host for this week. I am joined by Justin Kemmer, campus pastor. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. And Josh Tovey, our lead pastor. Today's the day. Today is the day, in fact. And uh, Justin just got done preaching a passage out of 1 Kings 18. And uh, Justin, I'm wondering, can you give us a like a two-minute rundown of what happened in the passage? Yeah, sure. So we come to 1 Kings 18 and, and you know, Old Testament, you know, might have to work to find 1 Kings. Um, but we have this epic showdown. Um, we have the people of Israel uh, who are, are God's you know, chosen people, what, what he's going to do in, in the Old Testament and leading up to the crosses through his people of Israel. Um, and so, but Israel really amazingly doesn't know who God is here in first Kings 18. Uh, King Ahab is the King of Israel at the time known for his evil, uh, known for doing, uh, more evil than any other King at this time of history. His wife is even more famous Jezebel. Um, she's notorious, loves to worship other gods, pagan worship, and and really is is a thorn in the side of Israel in any attempt to, to pursue and, and love God. And so Elijah is sent by God to really confront King Ahab. And, and the plan is to really have this showdown of sacrifices. Um, and they're going to set up their sacrifices, uh, the prophets of Baal, uh, 450 of them on the scene here versus one prophet of God. Elijah. Elijah stands alone. And so one corner, you have Yahweh, you have, you have God, uh, creator, sustainer of the universe, sovereign. And in the other corner, you have Baal. Uh, he's man-made, known as the storm god. Interestingly enough, the, we're, they're facing a three-year drought right now. And, mm. and because of that drought and famine, really, it's a consequence of their idol worship, of their pagan worship. They're experiencing this drought, but but Baal's the storm God. So I find that funny. What's he doing right now? Why isn't he coming through for them if he's their, their God? And so they're going to set up their sacrifices on the top of Mount Carmel. They're not going to put fire to it. And in the end, they're, they're going to pray. They're going to call out to their God. The prophets of Baal are going to call out to Baal to send fire, um, to light up the sacrifice. Um, and Elijah is then going to do the same thing. And, and here's the deal. Whichever God answers, they're God. Uh, because the tension right here in the text is is this question. If God is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Elijah, to the people of Israel, as they're sitting there, is asking, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? Um, and they're stuck here. They're stuck in the tension of who is God. Um, they're stuck really in this duel. And, and really, I think, in desperation because they're suffering, suffering because of their own sin, their own denial of God their own worship and, and turning of their hearts to something else. Um, and, and I think there's a little bit where, where they actually don't know. Uh, they, they're doubting God. Uh, they believe God's been silent. Um, and so they're, they're going to wait and see what, what happens here on, on Mount Carmel. Um, prophets of Baal spend all morning, all the middle of the day crying out. They end up uh, dancing around the altar. They're, they're wailing. They're, described as limping as well, even though it was probably a form of dancing. Um, and in the end, uh, they even cut themselves. So, so they're shedding their own blood to get their God to respond. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't miss the irony there of followers of Jesus of, of what we see on the cross. 
it's our savior. It's our God shedding his blood for, for us. And so in all their, their attempts, no one answers complete silence from, from Baal. It's because he doesn't, it doesn't exist, obviously. Right. Um, and then Elijah steps forward. Um, and in, in really just the matter of the process doesn't need time. Crazy scene as he is bringing water three times to just soak the, the altar that he's prepared to really fill the trenches around the altar. And, and in moments, his prayer is answered. God shows that he's God, sends fire to the altar. Um, even that it, that it licks up every bit of water is some of the language here in the, text, in the text. And you see this divine enigma, this time when heaven touches earth and God proves again that he is God. And, and Israel and the people of Israel fall on their faces and declare who is God in that moment. Uh, prophets of Baal actually try to run away, but, but they're, they end up being slaughtered. Um, and so it's just this crazy scene, this, this epic duel of sacrifices, but really in the end, it's an epic duel of God proving that he is God and there are no other gods before him. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's interesting in the way you set it up, uh, right here, uh, you would mention that there had been what a three year drought leading up to this time. Yeah. So Elijah and Ahab have a terrible relationship. Um, obviously well, one, one is the King of Israel, Israel, not standing for the God of Israel. And God has to send Elijah, his prophet, to be the mouthpiece because of his, the failed kings, the kings that Israel wanted, even going back to, to Saul being, being king of Israel for the first, first time, um, the first king of Israel. And, and so re- as a consequence, really, of their turning from God, pagan worship, Elijah comes to Ahab and says that you're going to experience a drought. There's going to be no rain until I say so. It's not him saying so. It's, it's God saying so. He's just a mouthpiece for, for God. And so, yeah, we're, we're talking about three, three and a half years when we come to this point in 1 Kings 18 on top of Mount Carmel that they've experienced drought, drought. because of drought, they've experienced famine. And so mm-hmm. there's even just this, this physical aspect, I think, of Israel as they're standing there, not knowing who God is um, or having doubts of who God is. And they're actually okay in this moment. Actually, whichever God's going to going to give me food, whichever God's going to heal this land and give us water again. I'm going to follow, follow that God. Mm. But I I think a lot of people tend to look at this as kind of, this is the showdown, but the way you set it up, it almost sounds like the showdown has happened and has been happening over the past three and a half years. And Bale has pretty clearly revealed himself not to be in control of anything. Well, that's the, that's the funny part. I, I think there's some comic relief in the fact that Bale storm God has not brought a storm. Now that now they would believe that that Baal has even some human characteristics. I, I find it hilarious. Elijah starts to mock Baal. Uh, at what point? Maybe your God is relieving himself. Wait, maybe your God is too busy going to the bathroom that he's not paying attention to you. <laughs> like Elijah's just getting a, an incredible kick out of this. Just just laughing at them. He knows it's it's just empty. It's it's frivolous. It's nothing is going to happen here. And so there, there is this picture of, of even in our own lives, we're, we're chasing after things that are just completely fruitless, completely empty, have no chance of answering or meeting our, our greatest needs. Hmm. That's good. Um, now, in the sermon that you preached, you you came back. You mentioned a few other things as as idols that people tend to have in their life, uh, but you came back to the idol of time on a regular basis. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Why? What led you to kind of single out time uh, among different idols, uh, and just help us understand what your thoughts were on that? Yeah, a piece that that brought me back back to 
time and time again to the idol of time uh, was the history of Israel. They're standing here and maybe they're questioning God because even though they, ha they have these major events, what we've walked through even in the Divine Enigma series, the Red Sea, they didn't experience themselves and the people in 1 Kings 18, but they have the history of the Red Sea. They have the history of knowing uh, that they have a heritage that is that has received the promised land, the walls of Jericho coming down. We've walked through the story of Gideon, yes, per his personal battle with faith, but um, but also just him taking down an army of thousands without even fighting. And so we see the history of Israel, and that's what stands out to me, that at times there's been moments where they have felt um, or believe that God has been silent. Has he? I don't believe so. Uh, but they're, they're at this point where over years and years and years throughout the, the cycle in Judges and now throughout the hundreds of years that in First Kings that, that here they are at Mount Carmel and time stands out because for years they haven't given their own God the time of day. Why are they silent? Why don't they have an answer? It's because time and time again, they haven't given God their, their lives and they have had years Years to, to, to surrender. Years. And so then it's like, wait a second. Do we give God the, the time of day? Like, would we stand there and are, are we essentially in the same position because we're doubting, because we believe he's been, been silent and we're not willing to give him the time of day because we don't believe he's given us his time, his attention. And so we have to wrestle that with, with the different experiences in our own lives, what we're facing, our battles with our own sin, the sin that's against us, the trials and circumstances that we face because our world as a whole is, is sinful. Um, and so I think time, if it's not an idol, I actually believe it is. I think we can answer it's like, wait a second, I don't have time. I, I think that reveals a lot. Well, actually, because your time is an idol. And you actually don't have time over the course of our, your schedule, day, week. Yes, pursuing good things when it comes to time with family. I think of our, our kids. We're, we're running around with our kids a million miles and in a million different directions. But what does that expose about our time if, if the Lord isn't present in that? And so I kept coming back to time again because Israel hasn't given God the time of day over the course of years. For us, maybe it's just looking at this week. We haven't given God the time of day this week. And, and again, if time isn't an idol, time and how we spend our time is at least going to reveal the idols of our hearts. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people, myself included, as you look at the Old Testament, uh, you see this picture of idolatry where there's a little statue or a little shrine and people will go offer a, a gift or money or whatever it is uh, on that shrine uh, or to that idol. And I just don't necessarily think that a lot of people in West Michigan, in our church, have little shrines set up to different things. And <laughs> Maybe, Josh, you can jump in and help us a little bit here uh, because I don't think or or the, at least the message I've gotten is that idolatry is not limited to little shrines or little statues that we offer things right. to. It's a much bigger issue. Uh, what is idolatry and how can we disconnect ourselves from that, that really limited I uh, image of statues and shrines to better understand the concept that God's really trying to get at? I think we battle idols and we look at the Bible, like you said, and we can say, well, I don't, man, I didn't build up that idol out of piece of wood and, and bow down and worship it. But I think we often, we take 
good gifts, blessings that God has given us that are good in and of themselves, and we put them in the position of ultimate. Um, so we ta- we say taking good things, make it a God thing, that, that's a bad thing often. And I think we can do that with anything. And I think time is one of those one of those idols. Um, I, I often joke with our culture because obviously that's a Dutch culture, right? And so the phrase that we've, that it's been ingrained in everyone here, if you're not Dutch, you're, you're not much is kind of the phrase, right? And I'm not Dutch though. I'm not Dutch either, right? Clear. I'm not Dutch. So, but what's interesting about some examples I've seen in our culture is the Dutch community. Um, they will elevate their own things, right? So they'll elevate, like we want to save money. Like they're known as being cheap historically. So an example of that would be we'll drive... Um, 10 minutes across town to save three cents a gallon on gas. And well, the logic <laughs> is you just actually came out e- the same, you know, by, by, by the drive. But for me, I would say an idol of time is, is real, right? And so it might not be about saving money, but it is about, it is about my time. And if it's in, going to inconvenience me, that's, I'm not going to like that. Or I might not do the Dutch thing. I want to save the money, but I might spend more money if it's going to save my time, right? So I, I think we all have these battles of, of different things that matter to us. But I also think we've seen people elevate um, their kids, right? The kids are ruling the roost in their home and the kids are the center of everything, right? And I actually don't think that's the biblical model either. And so we can elevate their schedules, we can elevate their sports, we can elevate everything. And I say that with my kids being involved in stuff and they're young and it's busy and it's craziness on the time schedule, but, but there's gotta be a better balance to these things to where um, what matters most to us is is always in the forefront. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because even, even all those things, again, good thing becomes a God thing. But those good things can stay in their rightful place. <coughs> and and God can remain in, in the highest place. And even in those things, what, whatever we do, we can do all to the glory of God. So we can be driving our kids. We can be attending all the events. But, but obviously, where's the priority? Where's the priority in that time? And when we see that time... Um, Coming a roadblock to time with the Lord, then obviously that that reveals kind of where our where our heart is in those moments. Yeah, I think we we struggle making good things and putting them in ultimate places. And like you said, from Psalm one thirty five, we become what we worship. Really, yeah, that was a that was kind of a crazy, just really eye opening moment, even in, in studying for First Kings eighteen and just just the context of it, where we're talking about idols, and I was drawn to. Uh, Psalm 135, which, which actually says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouth. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. And so all these things, Baal didn't have eyes, you know, have this idol, this image, this man-made God. All those things can describe this idol. But actually does does it actually describe me in the moment because i made this my idol time identity security achievement um the the comfort control significance because i've made those idols have i become just like those idols psalm 135 says that's possible and at times it is true and that's why i can't see that's why i can't hear god in those moments Mm -hmm. Hmm. that's that's good um 
Can, can we back up and let me ask a, another question because Israel is obviously in a, a difficult moment in their history here uh, coming from, I mean, we, we started the series with uh, the Red Sea, which comes right out of the, the plagues in Egypt. Uh, then God parts the Red Sea. Uh, and I mean, it's probably the pinnacle moment in Israel's experience that's constantly pointed back to. Uh, and yet here we are with one prophet of the Lord 450 prophets uh, from, you know, a, a different God. How did they get to this point where they're confused uh, and don't really know who to follow? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's certain, there's multiple points that we can identify. But maybe even here in First Kings, because we're in a season of kings for Israel and at this time Judah, because their kingdom is broken down, divided. Um, Judah and Israel. And I think it, it does come back to the moment when, when Israel says, we want a king. We want what the world has. We want to work how the world works. And so then you have Saul on the scene. And we see Saul's reign. We see David's reign. We see Solomon's reign until you start to get into first and, and second kings and see this, this kingdom divided. And really, could it be as simple as saying, actually, we, we saw what God offered and we see what the world has offered and we actually want to choose what the world has to offer, what their methodology, their systems, um, because we love the world, don't we? I mean, I know I, know I do. Um, I have my own idols. Um, and so I think that's, that was a, a pivotal moment in, in the history of Israel, which led to even, even this point uh, a few hundred years later. Yeah, that's that's actually kind of terrifying because we face many of those choices on a, a day-to-day basis. This isn't just, oh, those Israelites, they're making terrible choices again. When you frame it like that, uh, I think we can easily start to realize that we're faced with that almost on a daily basis. Well, I think we see ourselves in the text when it talks about how long will you go limping between the two the two opinions. It's like, well, that that's where the tension is for us. And we're we're not Elijah in the story. We we are the Israelites who absolutely struggle with the trust in a God that we can't see, right? And he seems silent and he seems distant. And my grandfathers and my great, great relatives have over generations told our family about the God of the Red Sea and the the God who brought down the walls of Jericho or the sun stood still or all these awesome things we've seen in the series, but that didn't happen in my life. So that God is, is not here, therefore he's not God. And so they have the tension of, of, giving their lives to one of two gods here. And we have the same struggle of, are we all in with the Lord or, or are we not? Right. And, and we think, we think we can check the box to appease this God, just like they're doing it in the text with, with dancing and all their stuff they're doing um, from 9am to noon, getting crazy out there, shedding their own blood, like trying to do something to appease that, to appease Baal. But I think we do the same thing with the Lord and we know the God actually hates our sacrifices. Hmm. Right. Like he's not, he's not pleased by that. The sacrifice that's been needed has already been given. Right. And so, and so I think I live in that tension of, of the Israelites in my own life to say, yeah, I'm not saying there's other opinions about how I'm living my or other options about how, about how I live my life is there, there are other options out there. And I do want to worship this God. I do think he's God. I do believe and have faith that the Bible is what it says it is, but how that, how that dictates my schedule and my time my motivations, um, where I want to give my life. Um, I don't see God sometimes in those things. 
yeah, even even bringing up it's it's all or nothing. Yeah, that that is that is the choice that the Lord has has given us. It, it's all or nothing, and and maybe a, a dumb example, but but my wife knows that I'm that I'm an all or nothing kind kind of guy. Like she would be, and I should learn from it. But she would love love and and take any small gift throughout throughout time just to show the love and appreciation. But she, but I I'm an all or nothing guy. So if it's going to be a small gift, I'm out. You know what I mean? <laughs> if it, if if it's going to be a, a gift to my wife, it's going to be all. It's go go big or or go home. <laughs> um, but we we exist in the in between in our relationships with the Lord. We we think it can be middle of the road. But what the Lord says, you, you can't serve me or anyone or anything else. So will you choose me? Yeah. And and oftentimes we're we're just functioning in that in between of all or nothing. And if we're functioning in the in between of all or nothing in our relationship with the Lord, it actually does reveal that that we're in a place of of nothing. Yeah. We're we're really not following Him. We're we're not serving Him. Um, we're we're serving our idols. So true. And I think I think the word limping is a really unique word in this text. Right, just the idea of brokenness that that we all actually on this side of eternity walk with a we have a limp, right? Um, we have a we have a spiritual limp in the reality of that we have this tension in our hearts about um, what God we want to serve, and sometimes we want to serve ourselves, and so sometimes it's between serving, making us God, and or following the Lord, which I think was the tension in the garden. Um, and so I think we battle that, and and I think we see our brokenness, we don't know where to put it or what to do with it, and I think we see God showing up and the people saying, Oh, I want to go on with this God. And you spend time breaking down. What does it look like to fall? Right. To fall, my sin is going to go bad for me, uh, but to fall upon the Lord, um, I think will result in healing for us, um, which is incredibly important. Yeah. In the end, that was the picture We're we're limping sign of brokenness. Um, just this wobble, as you think of someone who, who limped, you know what I mean? They're, they're going back and forth. They're, they're wavering. Um, and so we, we could have a choice actually to, to lose our limp before, before the Lord. Um, I think that's the only place we're going to lose our limp this side of heaven yeah. in, in the, in this life. It's because we're not going to be on our feet anymore. It's because yeah. we're going to be on our faces. Yeah. And so would we fall on our faces? Um, and I did, I did Google it, the right way to fall. And, and the couple things that, that stood out were actually leaning into the fall because it gives you a little control of direction. Mm-hmm. And so figuratively speaking, a lot of times we're afraid of the fall. We're, who wants to fall? That that's going to hurt. There could be some pain in that. Um, but actually, to lean into the Lord and even talking a little bit. Okay, if it's the idol of time, how can we lean into the Lord with, with some of our time? Um, but then to to fall right was to actually not to break your fall. Um, to put down that hand to potentially break a wrist, to break a uh, dislocate your shoulder. And so there's this picture that actually you can lean into that fall before the Lord, because you're completely safe. Uh, you can lose the crutch. We can all define what crutches we have in our life mm-hmm. um, that aid our limp, but, but actually um, stop us from falling before the Lord. Um, but just that, that the idea that we're actually completely safe to fall before the Lord. Uh, felt like that was a unique picture. Yeah, that's good. And I think that kind of segues into uh, the tension uh, for us, imagining that I'm Joe or Jane Churchgoer, I've I've read the story, heard the story, uh, and then listened to the sermon and the discussion around it. And I'm sitting there going, "Oh man, I've got some idols. I am limping." 
What do I do? What concrete things? Because I, I like the image of you know lean into the fall and don't don't try and uh, uh, brace yourself from the fall. Uh, but what does that look like this week for Joe or Jane Churchgoer? What would you say to someone saying I'm convicted? I just don't know what first steps to take. Yeah, and I think I think kind of leaning in the fall, and if we can bring it back to the idol of time, um, I think there has to be a complete shift. Um, just even specific to our our culture. Let me back up. I think there needs to be a complete shift in my own life, my own heart, um, how my time is dictated, what my time is is given to. Um, and so my eyes go to Elijah, who is known as a prayer warrior. And what he did was he prayed the promises of God. Um, and I know I, I've come across it in a couple different books, even a couple just... Um, pastors that have encouraged this. Um, but really it's coming back to throughout the day, spending that, that time. Cause even if you see this epic showdown, it really becomes, comes back to which God's going to answer the prayer. And I think the God that answers prayer deserves our worship. And so we see that, that, that the God of the Bible, Yahweh, Elijah's God answers prayer through this, um, sacrifice, sending, sending the fire. And so can we, can we, come back to praying and follow in Elijah's footsteps and be so bold to pray the promises of God. And so can we get back into God's word, lean into God's word, find the promises of God's word, and then, and then pray those promises. And I think it can be practical throughout the day. Um, I, I mentioned it in the message where um, I've always held on to just the line in the song, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you every hour I need you. And so that stood out to me where it's like, what if every hour you, you set the alarm on your phone, a silent alarm, or you, you're a clock watcher, which I am. And so every time I see that it's the top of the hour, it's nine o'clock, it's 10 o'clock, it's an 11 o'clock. There's a, there's a moment of time where, where there's, there's a time of prayer, even in the moment of working where you can just kind of rehearse the promises of God. You'll never leave me. You won't forsake me. Uh, just even an identity prayer. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we pray those promises of God throughout the day. And that can be just a practical step just throughout the day that, that we can, that we can take. Um, so that's, that's one of the ways I don't, I don't yeah, know. Josh, I, th- if you I, th- have- I think prayer is one of the ways that we can elevate our dependence upon the Lord. Right. And so I think what other things can we elevate that are of the Lord in our life um, that, 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 that I think are important. Um, I think prayer is huge. I think our time in the word is huge. I, I think community and people around me that, want to pursue what God wants to pursue and will help keep me accountable. Um, I do think church and being a part of a, being connected to a local body, I think is, is a biblical idea. And we talk about time and the national average now for church attendance is 1.7 times a month. Well, that, that reveals to us there, there are, um, that there, there's a tension in our heart. Like we see with the Israelites here. Right. And so I just, I just have that challenge in my own life too, of like, Hey, if I, if I want to follow my face before the Lord, um, I think the first thing is 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 a confession, a, a surrender to Him. Um, but we want to live in that place. Like we shouldn't get up from that place. So that's a place where we should make home, right? And there's room at the foot of the cross for everybody, right? And so, but I think when we think about our idol specifically, um, what is it that God gives us that answers is the antidote to the idols or the what we want in our hearts? Because I think He gives it all, right? So what would it look like for us to start elevating the things of the Lord over the things of this world? And I think prayer obviously is the starting place on our face before him. But I think we can start looking at things like time, like we talked about in this message. 
or or our schedules or our agendas or wherever it is we're trying to find comfort control significance. It's like, hey, God actually gives us those things and he is ruling over all. And so how do we surrender and submit to him in some of those ways? We'd all say our schedules are busy. I think oftentimes we use the phrase, yep, I need to make time for that. And how often does it happen? It doesn't. And so even just even laying out what our schedules look like, if it meant that time in our schedules was built all around our time with the Lord, would that be too drastic of a shift? Would that be a bad thing? We'd say spiritually speaking, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But are we willing to come open-handed, fall on our faces before him to even give that to our ourselves, our families, our community as an option that actually our schedules can take a 180, completely shift in our time and what our time is spent. Now, again, a lot of our time is still after good things. And so as long as those things are, are right don't place. become God things, yeah. then continue to pursue them. Glorify God in the workplace. Glorify God on a Saturday at your kids' it's games. Sports, you have yeah. all the opportunities in the world to develop relationships with unbelievers in all these communities. Yeah. But again, even going back to the text, idols were referred to as the highest places because on the top of Mount Carmel in first Kings 18, when it's Elijah's turn, he is actually rebuilding an altar that was there at one point, point. to the Lord, yeah. but it's been torn down because what was put at the highest place became idol worship. And so as long as we keep first things first, what deserves to be at the highest place, the highest place at the highest place, which is, which is Jesus who he has and what he's done and living for him, then we're in a right spot. And I think that's the tension, right? So it's like, we're not, no one's saying don't live your life. Don't do things that you love to do. Don't allow your kids not to have fun and they can do sports and they can be involved in stuff. You have your hobbies, do your hobbies. Like no one's saying no to any of that. It's just finding the right place in our life for those things and, and not allowing them to trump who the Lord is. And I, I often wonder my own life, the challenge for me is, is, if I'm consistently getting in the in in with the Lord, like through prayer and studying his word, reading his word, like, will I really run out of time in the day? Like, like I, I just feel like for me, like I, I every time I've done that faithfully, for some reason I've had I've still had time to get done what I need to get done. Yeah. Uh, this has been a great discussion, and I'm sure we could keep on talking for, for hours about it. Um, we do want to wrap things up. We do want to encourage you as well to just keep talking with people in our community, in your community about it. Uh, crazy story. A lot of things to pull out. Uh, and even just some of the things that we've highlighted today would be great to continue talking about. If you have any questions or comments, we'd encourage you to reach out to us either on Facebook Instagram or via email. Uh, we'd love to, to just take some time and either pray with you or respond to those questions. Uh, thank you for listening today. Uh, our hope is that this becomes kind of a weekly thing and we're able just to continue the thought and thinking of the sermon throughout the week to help us not just hear, uh, hear the word, but to actually be doers of the word. Uh, so make sure that you subscribe or like or follow or whatever your podcasting platform asks you to do so that you can be notified of new podcasts. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Thank you.